Hello. Uh, welcome to week two of Carbon Neutral and Podcast with Ellen O'Brien and the lovely Darwin. This episode is called Let's Make Ireland Green Again and we'll be focusing on travel. And because of that, we are recording this in a car. Yes. We'll be looking at all the CO2 which my little Yaris produces and uh, we will be in the recording studio shortly. Eleanor means her sister's house. Uh, we can't get in. High security. <laughs> so we're going to give her. We're going to give her another five minutes to let us in, and if not, we're going to name and shame her with this introduction. Eleanor has three sisters, so you know, <laughs> can't can't pin the blame on anyone just yet. <laughs> no. We did get into the house eventually. Absolutely, we're here. Not in the car. Car's locked. And, um, yeah, we're in the recording studio. So you're very welcome to episode two of the Carbon Neutral Lamp podcast. Entitled, Let's Make Ireland Green Again. Come here, how, how have you found the few days since... Since the podcast went live and, and since we started it. Since we started, people have been really, really nice. People have been great. People have been delightful. Um, they're, they're coming out of the woodwork. They were yeah, there the whole time. Yeah, yeah. You think nobody, you're, well, not that you don't think anybody cares, but you're kind of like, oh, I wonder, is it only me? It's not, lads. There's a rake yeah. sauce. And it's just been really nice getting feedback. Yeah. A couple of people said said to me that it was excellent. <laughs> Thanks, ma'am. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, but the pressure's on. Pressure's, pressure's on, on a little bit for this episode. Yeah, pressure's on. We were kind of, what's the word, chance in our arm or podcast one. But now it's uh, on like Donkey Kong. People, know? yeah, but pink people people have expectations now. Yeah, lower them again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, uh, if you haven't, if you are just tuning in for episode two, uh, it might be a good idea to go back and listen to episode one first. Not, it's not, not essential, but I think there's probably some things that we've explained that we'll be building upon. Absolutely. This week. Uh, so, will we talk a bit about how we've gotten on with our with our measuring mm-hmm. for this? Yeah, absolutely. For S- these few days. So, for this week, what I have been looking at um, is the car. So, I filled it up on before before Ash Wednesday. So, Tuesday. Yeah, it was Tuesday night. I filled it up. And I don't know if anybody else who has a car, I'm used to looking at where the money goes or how much money it is, and I'm always really, like, concentrating on not getting it over 20 or not getting over 50. Like, I wanted it to have perfectly 50. And this time, it was my first time ever looking at the litres, and I filled it up with 39 litres of petrol. And that image of 39 litres of, like, little milk cartons full of petrol, 39 of them, was n- the first time I actually ever thought of the petrol going into my car. Yeah, and I think we're going to be talking a little bit later about when you think of the emissions that that petrol makes, it's even even more more surprising mm-hmm. so i just thought that was crazy it was just interesting for me as a person in the world never to have thought of that we're only four days in because we're recording this a few days in advance so we will be uploading our weekly carbon footprint so that people can see how we're getting on but i've done a quick tally just for the four days just to give an idea so this week i measured electricity heating uh, petrol and also food for food this week instead of itemizing everything which we will be doing starting next week we just got some stats that gave the average footprint for 
vegans, vegetarians, fish eaters, low meat eaters, and high meat eaters. And basically, we just need to mark in or diet for each day, and it will calculate the footprint. So uh, my total footprint for four days is 72 kilos of CO2, which is... We've used up about four trees. We've paid to plant 50 trees at the start of Lent, so... Mm-hmm. Four days have used about four trees. 72 kilos of CO2. That's mad. Yeah, so about my body weight in, in CO2 in four days. And the breakdown of that, about a fifth has come from food. Uh, about 20% of my footprint has come from food. And that will be probably more than doubled if I've been eating meat every day. Mm. Uh, so that's a good good little cut down. Uh, just over a fifth has come from the electricity and the heating in the house. And then the rest has come from from transport. So 24 kilos of CO2 to come up and down on the train to Dublin today from Limerick Ooh, okay. for the podcast. Good. Um, <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but if I had driven, it would be much, much, much worse. True. From driving about 90 kilometers over the four days, I've used six litres of petrol, which is... 15 kg of of co2 so that's how that's how it's going so far so it's a mm. so we're so we're working out at about one tree a day there are actually 46 days in lent people don't realize because it's 40 days and 40 nights from mm-hmm. ash wednesday to palm sunday and then there is holy week so we should just be about within the range we should except we're going to be measuring our clothes at some stage we're going to do that all in Kay. one go we both have to fly so that's yeah. gonna that's gonna be a few days worth. So it'll be it'll be touch and go, but we'll hopefully find ways of of cutting things down as we're as we're going along. Mm-hmm. Um, but the race is on. I wonder will we get to will we get to fifty trees? Or we get over? Because I'm I am planning on changing the car because I have been driving to work. I I've been a bit sick, so I've been like, oh, be a bit kind to yourself. But now I'm like, you know what? Don't be kind to yourself. Get on your bike and train. Get in there. Um, yeah. So I'm going to. I'm probably going to cut down on the number of days I'm teaching <laughs> <laughs> for the rest of Lent just just to really be able to focus on this. Uh, so that will hopefully cut things down. And I will be I will be contacting schools nearby to to see if I can get a few days sub in there. That's, yeah, um, good idea. This is much. It's because the, tr- the the transfer transport for both of us is the one that is biggest at the moment. And it's just huge in Ireland. I think you know, okay. like I think it's just across the country. Uh, transport is just a huge thing but it's kind of shown to me i know you're planning on getting an electric car yeah yeah for me i was just haven't seen seen the figures which we'll be talking about a bit later yeah. just an electric car is a is a no-brainer we're actually delighted to have somebody else that's taken on carbon neutral lent to talk to us about how she's getting on so uh johanna o'brien johanna thanks a million for coming along thanks a million for having me Dad. Johanna, how how have you been finding carbon neutral land so far? We're only a few days in, so yeah, we're only a few days in. Um, I've been. I think it's interesting that I'm like finding my own way to navigate how to do it. Uh, I'm using obviously the Excel sheet and listening to listening to this very podcast and getting suggestions and stuff. But I think it's very uh, it's nice that I'm figuring out my own way that works best for me to do it because I want to do it as effectively. Because I think it can be overwhelming. I think initially I was a bit overwhelmed by it, by the idea of clocking up every single thing. 
but I've I've just started uh, doing it a particular way, which is now makes it not a chore for me to do, which is good. Okay, what is wh- what is the particular well, I'm way? Glad you asked. Her. Um, so I've mainly be, uh, been using uh, photography. I say it sounds much more cooler than what it is. I've been taking photos. Um, I've been basically like any time I go uh, shopping or buy something, I just take a photo of if I'm buying be it literally bananas if i'm buying apples if i'm buying uh, if i go fill up the petrol i take a photo so that i've or if i take a bus trip i screenshot the bus trip on the phone so that by the time it comes to actually going to fill in the um the sheet i just literally go to the photos so what will happen now is that i started on wednesday so i look at the photos i took on wednesday and i'll take other photos this wednesday I'll say, eh, like, for example, the apples. So I'll just compare the photos and see how much apples I've oh, eaten. Oh, that is very, very good. So then it's basically like I'll sit down for a few minutes then on Wednesday and just go through the photos and go, oh, yeah, three apples, five bananas, uh, 12 kilometers on a bus, uh, whatever all the thing is. So that's yes, very that's good. That's um, uh, that's the way I'm doing it. So, yeah, so really good idea. And is there anything sort of maybe not from measuring so far or just from, I guess, the experience or maybe looking at things? Is there anything you've learned so far in the whole thing? Um, so it's a I think the biggest thing I've noticed is my awareness of things like uh, where I'm going, what I'm buying, uh, things like that. It's probably the biggest thing. It's just having it in the back of my mind. And in saying that, I haven't. It doesn't necessarily changing. I'm not ch- completely changing my lifestyle for the seven weeks, or I have. It hasn't impacted me yet, but it's nice to even have it in the back of my head. Yeah, definitely. It's just another factor to consider really yeah. when you're making decisions. Yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> so that was my sister Jen O'Brien who very kindly let me use her room today to record and also thanks Jenna for letting us um, how you recorded um, your carbon neutral lens and just different ways to do it because we all seem to be doing it differently which is also interesting as well uh, she thought of the very creative way of doing the photos which yeah. is brilliant so yeah, yeah. thank you so much so we we've been talking about we've been sort of just taking figures from places say for food just from studies and for transport and stuff um especially public transport and we haven't really explained where we've gotten these figures from so before we carry on with this podcast series it would probably be good to talk to somebody who knows behind the scenes how the carbon footprint of things are measured and and where the numbers come from from all these studies that we're using so i got in touch with a good friend of mine peter Beryl from galway who's currently studying a PhD in industrial ecology at the School for Forestry and Environmental Studies at Yale. So we'll be leaning on his expertise in this episode. And I started off just by asking him how exactly the carbon footprint of things are calculated. Hi, Pete. Thanks a million for joining us. So we've just been discussing how we're measuring the carbon footprint of different things and that we've got some figures but we haven't really gone into detail about how the carbon footprint of stuff is measured. So could you tell us, say for a t-shirt, how would the carbon footprint of that be measured? Yeah, so there's kind of two families of, of approaches. Uh, one is using physical measurements and say for, for, for any, any product, you make, a, you make kind of a chart of all the inputs 
to production that, that, that go into making the final product. I mean, you kind of go into depth into the product and to find out how it's made. And then you uh, use like basic chemical equations for finding out what the process or energy combustion related emissions are for each step. And then you basically add it all up and describe it in terms of one unit of, of whatever it is. So say for the, for the t-shirt using that model, you would get the carbon footprint of the of the cotton and maybe the transport of the cotton to the to the factory and all the electricity that went into the factory and the transport yes. afterwards yeah and to to make the to make this task kind of achievable you you kind of draw a system boundary somewhere so you're saying this is all the things that i'm going to include in my in my analysis and other things for some reason either they're impossible to calculate or i'm pretty confident that they don't contribute anything uh, important uh i'm not going to consider them explicitly okay Um, so say for maybe for for the t-shirt example you might include the carbon footprint of the machinery and what it took to produce the machinery in the t-shirt but you might not include say if the workers there were wearing rubber gloves you might discount the footprint of the rubber gloves yeah something like that or if you didn't know exactly how much uh of how much material was used to sew to sew the t-shirt up you know that would be like something that would be a very small mass and um it would probably have a very negligible impact and it mightn't be worth your time going to the the extent of finding out so much information about that um so that's peter barrel there explaining one model of how the carbon footprint of things are calculated i do think what's cool about it as well is it makes you it gives you more full circle of life and how things work and where things come from because i was thinking of i don't know about you there but there i remember a few years ago people were like oh kids in the city they don't know where uh milk comes from it's from cows and there's, this was like a really crazy thing that they're like oh my god kids don't know that milk comes from cows and then i was like guys we don't know where a lot of stuff comes from and we don't know where a lot of it ends up in so in my head i was like oh no i am that kid in the city not knowing uh, which i just thought was nuts that i was like oh it's me it's really it's so true so there is a second way that the carbon footprint of things are calculated and we're going to hand over to pete again to explain the second model to us yeah, the second, the second kind of approach is uh, instead of using physical data, it uses economic data of sales. And then you um, calculate what is the environmental impact of one dollar or one euro of consumption of the final product. And it uses main, two main sources of data. One is uh, economic input-output data, or system of national accounts that, that most countries produce uh, for themselves uh, as part of their kind of GDP accounting. And the second main uh, data source for this method is the um, greenhouse gas reporting that, that, as well, most countries do, especially since uh, the, the IPCC agreement and, and kind of national reporting of greenhouse gas emissions became a thing you'll have a good sense from those uh, greenhouse gas reports of, of where in the economy different, uh, what quantities of different greenhouse gases are emitted. And so the task of the imp- environmental input-output model then is to combine these two data sources and kind of split up the emissions uh, from the greenhouse gas reports uh, into the, the uh, sectors in the economic supply and use or the, the input-output tables. Yeah, so I suppose the way i think of that is you look at sort of the whole amount of money going into the industry and the whole amount of co2 coming out of that industry but i suppose the kind of 
the kind of problem that I would see there would be say if you spend 200 euro on a really expensive shirt or then spend 200 euro in pennies uh the carbon footprint's going exactly. to be completely uh different yeah exactly um you know this would not be distinguished in in the in the economic accounting method okay but for a bit for for national level accounting and and uh c- calculating for example the the average carbon footprint of an irish citizen um, or the Irish country as a whole, this method is very useful. So with that model where they calculate the full carbon footprint, that's where we get the figure that the average Irish ca- carbon footprint is 17 tonnes. So they get the full footprint and divide it by the population of Ireland. Interesting. So if Ireland for one year made this much CO2, and then if that many people were living there, you just divide it into that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. And then that, that model's also also interesting because you can find the carbon footprint of things you wouldn't think had a carbon footprint like uh, a mortgage uh, which is an example i've taken from a book that i mentioned last week as well how bad are bananas and everything by mike berners lee it's really good to get your head around the carbon footprint of things he says that for a hundred thousand pound mortgage at five percent interest that that would have a carbon footprint of 800 kilograms per year which, in my head, doesn't make any sense. Okay, so the way he has done this is the income that banks get all comes from interest from loans. So that is the money they're using to run their business. So then they get the full carbon footprint of everything in the bank. So all the buildings they'd use, all the electricity, all the travel that their people would do, everything, they get the full carbon footprint of all those things. And then they get all the money that they're earning from interest and then dividing it so that you can find out for every pound of interest or euro of interest that you give to the bank, this is how much carbon they're creating with that money. So if I had a house, <laughs> when that ever happens, who knows? Um, and if I'm paying for mortgage, do, like, would I include that as my footprint as well? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think we're probably going to include the physical things uh, for now because it can get very very messy like if we then say if we go to the cinema and buy a cinema ticket then would we have to include the little bit of our money that's going back to the movie studio do yeah. we have to take a little bit of the total footprint of the movie mm-hmm. and we actually we actually kind of have a very insightful comment from pete on on this let's go back to pete to talk about kind of where we're going to draw the boundaries for this project it's good that you talked about the boundaries because i suppose it's we're going to have to draw the boundaries somewhere and measuring our carbon footprint so for example we're going to be discussing the carbon footprint of tds traveling on st patrick's day all around the world is that technically part of my carbon footprint as an irish taxpayer so I would say that either way of looking at it, either as just an Irish citizen or as an Irish taxpayer, uh, then yes, because uh, essentially all public spending is is um, on behalf of and, and for the good of the Irish uh, public. I mean, I'm sure there are some good things that come out of these trips, uh, um, cementing diplomatic ties and raising awareness about Ireland abroad and everything, but I think it's it's very important to ask ourselves which of these which of these uh, trips and which of these types of spendings are, are really necessary and which of them are beneficial. Um, and we need to hold politicians accountable and remind them of their responsibility in this regard. Um, and arguably, 
even more important than like such uh, frivolous spending for for uh, trips and so on um, is the the longer term impacts of of Irish public investments um, such as into fossil fuels and infrastructure systems that will that would be uh, that would be used for decades to come. I think all of public infrastructure spending should be done. Uh, with the question in mind of how will this impact longer term uh, greenhouse gas emissions from the Irish public. So there is that whole aspect of just being an Irish citizen and that having a carbon footprint. So when we're measuring our footprint for Lent, I guess either we discount it entirely and and just acknowledge that we've discounted it or else we try, it, would there be a way of sort of incorporating some of it or is that is that possible? For for what I've learned about your current effort, I would say it's something that you have really no direct control of. And while it is good to be aware of and, and uh, to to pressure uh, your politicians into into making less of these types of spending, I think it would be quite reasonable to to just acknowledge it and and omit it from from your current uh, carbon footprint calculations. Great, we'll do we'll do that. So. <laughs> yeah. So there we have it. Pete's recommendation for the boundaries we draw is to just measure the carbon footprint of things we can't control. So because we're paying tax, technically, anywhere the taxpayer money goes, a uh, percentage of that will be part of our carbon footprint. But he says, and I agree with him, that, uh, that we won't. We'll only measure the things we can control. I absolutely agree. I think that's fair enough. Um, okay, I think we should move on to move on to talking about travel so we both have used about six liters of petrol or diesel in the last four days so what really confused me was that six liters of diesel which would weigh just over six kilos has a carbon footprint of 15 kilos so i asked pete uh, one bit of data that confused me when i first read it is that a liter of petrol produces about 2.5 kg of of co2 e can you explain how the carbon emissions weighs more than the petrol um so most of that is just due to the chemical reaction and basically you're um you're taking carbon and hydrogen in the in the hydrocarbon fuel and you're mixing that with oxygen and as a result of that you get co2 and h2o uh, carbon dioxide and water as, as the products of that reaction um so when you do a ma- if you want to do a mass balance of this, which you which you which you can, what what ends up in the mass of the carbon dioxide is in, in the end also is a lot of it comes from the oxygen used to burn the fuel. Okay, so a lot of it is is the oxygen. Most of the weight of the emissions is coming from the oxygen that's fused with the carbon. I think it's like one third from the carbon, two thirds from the oxygen, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, CO CO two, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, Miss Miss Diskin will be proud. If Teresa Diskin is out there listening to two of her past Leave Insert Physics students, yeah. look at look at us now, Teresa. Look at us yeah. now. <laughs> um, big shout out to Teresa Diskin there. Um, <laughs> she did a good job. Anyone knows her? Uh, tell her tell her to tune in. Um, so that is mad. Like the way you were talking earlier on about how your thirty nine bottles of of petrol yeah liters yeah that's yeah. like a hundred kg of emissions so basically the in the chemical reaction the carbon fuses with oxygen from the air 
so it produces two around two and a half times as much emissions as the weight or of the of the stuff itself mm. which is news to me i did not know this <laughs> I yeah i think all. i think well there's loads of things like that the car the carbon footprint weighs more than the stuff but i think for petrol you kind of think oh, i'm putting in a liter she'll probably half of that or a third of that is emissions yeah you know you kind of think sure it can't be that much but <laughs> it's so much it's it's, it triples it so it's about two it's more than double uh it's a little bit less for petrol it's okay. about two and a half times for diesel and okay. that's also not including so the way we were talking about the transport of food or the transport of clothes um how that's part of the carbon footprint when we're talking about petrol or diesel we're not even including that so if we included all the process of extracting the oil and processing it and tra- transporting yeah. it over that would add on another half to that again yeah which is mad as well because i've never thought of the idea of like transporting petrol or diesel to ireland itself never came to my head that they have to use like petrol and or diesel to transport the petrol and or diesel to ireland yeah 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 and and to process yeah and to process it and everything so it's um yeah driving is probably much much worse than than we thought so the other thing to be considered is that the carbon footprint of building a car is huge so once again from how bad are bananas and everything he said that a ford mondeo the carbon footprint of a ford mondeo um will be about 17 tons of co2 so that's exactly the average uh, for one Irish person. So even before you've put petrol uh, petrol or diesel into it, there's so much goes into making a car, extracting the metal, making it into parts, um, transporting it, etc., etc., that the carbon footprint of a car is huge on its own. That's interesting because I, I was talking to somebody about um, the environment, and this is a few weeks back before we even started this, and um, I- electric cars are on the news and I was on a I was on a set doing a bit of acting and um I was talking to one of the crew members and I was kinda saying to him like, Oh, I'm actually really into the environment <laughs> um, just bring it in whenever I can. And um I said this to him, I was like, Oh, you know, maybe if we all had electric cars like Joe just throw away comment and he was like, Actually, um the m- amount of energy it would take to make all those electric cars is probably worse than actually using petrol or diesel cars. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it, Mad it's an interesting comment, but if you're buying a new car, I don't imagine that the footprint of making an electric car is any higher than making a new petrol or diesel car. So it does. If you have a car, best thing to do is hold on to it, run it into the ground, and then when it's then when it's of no use anymore, then buy an electric car. But if you are planning on getting a new car, then definitely definitely get one. So one stat that's interesting, bit of great maths. I'm a, I'm a fan of the maths. If you okay. are driving in, if you are driving in traffic, the emissions are three times worse on average than if you're driving with no traffic. So if you can if you can avoid rush hour, why? Because you're stopping and starting so much. Ah uh, yes, yes. Um, because you're stopping and starting so much, but then also I think it's called queuing theory or queuing maths. If I am stuck <laughs> in traffic, love this. if I'm stuck in traffic for for ten minutes, yeah, uh, and say there are there are ten other cars, if I wasn't there, they would all be queuing for a shorter time. Mm. So it's ten minutes of my time, but you actually 
add on a total of 10 minutes to all the other people that are waiting as well. That's mad. Uh, that's kind of a very basic rundown of the maths of that. Um, so you can kind of count that as your own emissions as well if you want to by driving in rush hour and holding up other people. By not doing that, you're cutting your emissions and everyone else's emissions. So avoiding rush hour, a uh, very, very efficient way of traveling to reduce your carbon footprint. And it also highly reduces your stress. <laughs> <laughs> just want everybody to know that. So just to give you uh, an idea of the reduction that public transport can can offer, me coming up and down on the train to Dublin today to record this uh, was 24 kilos. And if I had driven up, it would have been approximately 60 kilos of CO2. Big jump. So, so that is a big, big jump. Now, um, if there were three or four people in the car... Would have been much better. You could argue it would have been better to um, drive. To drive, but then in the big, in the grander scheme of things, the train's going already, and if you get the train, it increases demand for the train, and then if there's more demand, there'll be more trains, and if there's more trains, more people will get it, etc., etc. So we do also need to think of the knock-on effects, I suppose, of our actions on mm. and how they can uh, change the country. <laughs> how, uh, yeah, how they can influence other people. I think it's uh, when you see that one example of you know halving my emissions by getting the train it's big it is it's a big, big. jump because th- when you said oh i used was it 24 kilos mm. i was like that's ah, a lot but then when you compare it to how much you would have used in the car you're like oh no 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 24 actually not that bad not that yeah, bad exactly yeah, yeah yeah and it's it's trying to it's w- i think we're yeah it's by the end of lent we'll have a really good idea of what a high number is and what a low number is but yeah. for now we're just learning as we go and yeah. <laughs> Everything seems outrageous. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and also, did you enjoy your time on the train? I had a lovely time on the train. Got some research done for this, um, which we might talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I suppose while we're talking about travel, we need to talk about flying. Oh, yeah. Go this is for me. This is my big. Your tough part. This is probably the biggest thing I can change in my in my life. Uh, to have a good environmental impact and one thing that you you'll hear is that um, the emissions from flying because they're at altitude are much much worse why is that now it's good you asked that question because i put that question to pete oh great and pete's gonna tell us why that is now Let's, uh, let's have a listen yeah so actually i'm glad you brought this up and uh it was something that i Actually, was not also not aware of until, until recently, but uh, I've recently educated myself on this. Um, there are different greenhouse gases. Uh, it's not just carbon dioxide. There are other other greenhouse gases such as methane and uh, and nitrous oxides, uh, also known as NOx. And the one of the reasons that the emissions from flying are worse or more intensive at, at high altitudes is that the NOx emissions they react with the air to produce ozone more quicker at high at high altitudes than at low altitudes and ozone is actually what what uh, causes the the uh, warming effect in this case so i've read that the that the emissions from flying at high altitude can be two to four times more intensive than if if they were if those same uh, gases were emitted at ground level that was peter Beryl there and a huge thanks to pete for all his contributions in this episode and that 
last comment leads us nicely into discussing the carbon footprint of all the TDs flying around the world for St. Patrick's Day this year. So uh, to give you a bit of context, um, I need to go to London in a couple of weeks. Um, and by flying to London, that's going to be about 100 kg, I think, of CO2 each way, which is which is about two weeks worth of, of emissions for me, maybe based on what we have so far. So, so it is a lot. The TDs... All together, they are traveling 414,000 kilometers, which is enough to go around the world 10 times, I think. And I calculated the full carbon footprint of this. So to do this, I used that that the figures were, that the emissions were 1.9 times worse. So which is right at the bottom of what Pete said. Then at, the, at a regular altitude, I got that figure from how bad are bananas. And the total emissions for all this St. Patrick's Day flying is 73,000 kg of CO2. So 73 tons of CO2, which is which is same as the average carbon footprint of four and a half Irish citizens. For one year. For one year, yeah, exactly. That's a bit mad. It's quite a lot. Uh, so just to compare it to a few things, that is the same electricity as... 40 houses will use in Ireland in a year, roughly. So if we wanted to cancel out those emissions, maybe the 40 or 35 TDs that were flying could turn off the electricity in their house for a year. <laughs> that will cancel it out. It's the same as the total emissions for the city of Copenhagen for 19 days. It's also the same as 54 Kenyans' average yearly footprint or the same as 32 Indians' average yearly footprint and i think it's good to bring up india because people kind of talk about how how high their emissions are but there are a billion people there so (laughs) um their their emissions are their emissions are about seven times less than the average irish person no way yeah so uh we consume more we buy more we use more and because of that um our emissions are much higher it's the equivalent of about 900 people going to london from Dublin on the plane. So it's like okay. five five Ryanair or Aer Lingus flights. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, when you think of it that way, it's not that much. And as Pete said, you know, there are probably bigger environmental issues that we need to hold politicians to account to. Been a pretty heavy episode today, I think. Uh, heavy. It's pretty heavy. Mm, I think. think we need some good news. I'd yeah. like a bit of good news. Oh, all right. One bit of good news that we shared on our social media pages was uh, related to transport was that electric car sales have gone up 542% in Ireland this year compared to last year. So in January and February, the same amount of electric cars have been sold as were sold in all of last year in Ireland. I am thrilled with it. It's great. That makes me very happy. Step in the right direction. Step in the right side of history, you know? Huge step in the right direction. And also that kind of thing of... Now, because there are more cars, there need to be more charging points. Once there are more charging points, more people will buy electric cars. And something that's really of note with any behavior changes is that people are massively, massively influenced by other people. So there's one theory, Granovetter's threshold model of collective behavior, that everyone has a number of people that they need to do something before they'll change. So 
so I might need one person, I might just need one person to do something and then I'll do it. Or I might need any people. But a lot of people won't do something unless they see lots of other people doing it. So the fact that so many people have bought electric cars kind of makes it more acceptable for them to now buy electric cars. So, but that's also, it's also worth noting that, you know, if, if it's something that you normally wouldn't do, you'll have that ripple effect that people will see, oh, she's doing this or he's doing this, and then they'll be more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. So we're hugely, hugely influenced by, by other people's yeah. uh, behaviors. So that's, you know, hopefully the start of a real boom. Yeah, absolutely. For the you know, electric With cars. electric cars. Yeah, it's brilliant. Brilliant news. Yeah. Um, what other good news stories have we today? The good news, which I found this week, um, maybe because, and I think this is true, guys. I think when, because I've been looking at like, oh, the car makes this much CO2 and I want to make less, so I'm going to like start cycling. I've got a fierce interest in the cyclists and cycle lanes and watching how they do it. So RTE um, put up a little article about the Galway Cycle to School Initiative gathering pace. So basically they, all these kids on this big like road in Galway, during like rush hour like you know school they um, make this like cycle bus and it's like all of them cycling and parents like volunteer to make sure the kids are okay and I think that's really cool and that's it that's lovely and the man also I just want to give him credit is called who thought of the Galway bus cycle or the cycle bus his name is Alan Curran I just think people should be given credit when credit is due yeah 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 definitely Another good news story uh, from this week, kind of related maybe to uh, some of our stories from last week, uh, that I think is really interesting on an international scale, is that Norway is now paying Indonesia to not cut down trees. So Norway signed a deal 10 years ago to help protect the rainforest that if they said if they stopped deforestation that they'd start paying them. And they've given them their first payment. So I think that's brilliant. It is. It's w- what, a, what a great thing for Norway to do. Yeah, yeah, Norway's an interesting one because I think they're a really wealthy country and, and they've made a lot of their money from oil and gas. So oh, this okay. So a bit of guilt. <laughs> yeah, well, it's this interesting dynamic that their their energy is really green, but they export loads of oil themselves. So, okay. Um, but it's great. You know, I think Western countries, you know, we've made so much money from, from either using resources in other countries or using up all our own resources mm-hmm. that... That it's a really good thing to do from an equality point of view that, you know, they could be making money from deforesting and farming. It's good that, that Western countries are kind of putting their money where their mouth is and, yeah. and, and giving them this incentive to not make a quick book. And taking responsibility, I suppose. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So well done. Well done, Norway. They're definitely leading. Being They're our leaders. Yeah. 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 Good. Good job, Norway. Yeah. I would say one more good news is the school striking, this global strike which is happening this Friday, the 15th of March. And um, in my head, that is really, really good news. Yeah. And we talked, you know, we talked about how, how people in the media aren't maybe as switched on as they should be. But in fairness, uh, I saw that Fintan O'Toole and Sean Moncrief, who both write in the Irish Times, you know, Fintan O'Toole is a very well-regarded journalist. Both of them have written about climate change as a result of the school strike. Great. You know, and I think Fintan O'Toole said that it's shameful that we were making the kids raise this issue, but things are more things are more powerful when they come from children sometimes and if and if, if it does wake everyone up then, then it's great. 
Yeah, just as a music teacher, you know, there are some songs that sound better <laughs> when kids say when kids yes, sing them. Yeah. Um, it's probably the same with climate change. There are some things that children can say yeah. that just have more of a that echo. have more of an, an an echo and impact. Um, so yeah, the school strike. I'm going to try and go on Friday. Um, it would be great to see to see what's going on. Just who's out there already, and it's just great to know as well that there's people in in Ireland that um, uh, uh, from various ages. Yeah. That are on board. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, on the bus, lads. They're heading away. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's about it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. If you do want to find out more, check us out on facebook.com forward slash carbon neutral lent, instagram.com forward slash carbon neutral lent, and twitter.com forward slash enviro lent. And next week, we'll be talking about food. And, uh, you're you're not going to be here. Eleanor. I won't be here. Oh, I won't be here this week. N- next week, sorry. I will be um clocking up those CO two numbers on my flight to Aberdeen. So Yours. Now oh yeah. So we've talked about all this, all this cycling, how bad flying is, and now you're heading off. Heading off. You're heading such off. a hypocrite, aren't you? Such a hypocrite. If you haven't listened to episode one, we did talk about how it doesn't matter if you're a hypocrite. Just do what you can. And and I've a I've a lovely quote actually, Dara, to go with that. About about hypocrites and about being like perfect about doing this, uh, yeah. And I found it. It's how how after you like to hear it? It says, uh, we don't need a handful of people being perfectly sustainable. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly." So if you think you could be one of those people, let's be all imperfectly sustainable together. Great. Get involved. What a lovely way to end things. Hashtag Thanks. carbon nu- neutral. End. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll. Dara will see you next week and I will see you the week after. Very much looking forward to telling you how I got on with my flight. <laughs> Bye-bye. Um, just in case it's included, I am the sister of Eleanor O'Brien. Um, I just want my side of the story on the record that Eleanor told me she was coming to my house at 12 and um, they arrived on at 11. So I just... I don't want to say they were in the wrong or Eleanor was in the wrong, but I just want to, that's all I'm going to say. Um, just so to clear everything up um, about the recording studio, which is my sister's apartment in Dublin this week. Um, I actually had a key to get in the whole time and it was absolutely my fault why we had to record in the car. And so uh, so Johanna, Johanna is innocent. She's innocent. Hashtag Johanna is innocent. <laughs>